Welcome to Blue Collar Finance, the number one podcast for all Series 7 and SIE exam prep. Today we're doing Intro to Bonds. Let's join it. If you would like to see the video portion of this, visit me at Capital Advantage Tutoring on YouTube. Hey, this is Ken Finnan at Capital Advantage Tutoring, and it's my job to get you past the Series 7 exam, also known as the Series 7 top of exam. I've been in the business since God knows how long, since the late 80s, 89, worked at a hedge fund, worked in the stock exchange. I was also a compliance officer, am a compliance officer for the last, God, 11 years, 12 years. Um, so there's nothing on this exam that I don't know that I haven't done, regulated, or fired someone for violating. So my job is to get my information into your head so you can pass these exams. I want you to pass the Series 7 exam. I want you to pass the 66 or 63 exam. And first of all, get to the SIE. So hopefully you've gotten past the SIE or at this point. But now we're going to talk about bonds. Basic of bonds, not the whole, not munis, not treasuries, just basic characteristics of the bonds. So they're also known as fixed income. To be fair, a preferred stock is also a fixed income. We're talking about this right now. So we're talking about bonds. It's a form of debt. So a bond is like, so if I'm a company and I have a couple different ways of raising money, one of the ways is to, is to raise stock, to give up equity of my firm. I don't want to do that yet. So maybe I want to just borrow the money instead of going to a bank, right? Instead of going to a bank and borrowing the money, okay? I'm actually going to find a different way to do it. I'm actually going to sell debt. So I'm going to borrow the money from you guys. So I'm going to sell bonds. And what happens is most bonds are issued in denominations of $1,000. So that's what they call par value. Par value is is, is $1,000. Now they can have different ones, 5,000, 10,000, but we always base everything on the thousand. So if you see like 10M, that's $10,000 worth of bonds. When they talk about the amount of bonds, they're not talking, they're not going to say you bought 10,000 bonds. They're going to say you bought $10,000 worth of bonds. So it's 10M dollars. Since each bond is a thousand, 10M, $10,000 worth of bonds would be 10 bonds. So that's where we go with it. That's the numbers and stuff. Okay. So let's talk about a couple of things. Par value, usually a thousand. And then we have a coupon rate. That's what we're paying you. Okay, so we borrow the money from you. We're the corporation, Cats Tutoring. Boom, I'll put it there. Cats Tutoring issues a bond. We issue a million dollars worth of bonds. That's what, a thousand bonds, whatever the hell a million divided by a thousand is. Um, now, I'm going to have a coupon. Now, that's depending on how risky I am. So there's a thing called credit ratings, which is like S&P, Moody's, Fitch. S&P is going to be, let me show you. Okay, so this is the main credit rating. S&P, Moody's, Fitch looks just like F-I-T-C-H, looks just like S&P. So the S&P, the highest credit rating is AAA. Moody's is is AAA also, but it's A, little a, little a. Those are the highest credit ratings. In reality, there's only one company, Johnson & Johnson now, that has the maximum credit rating of AAA. All the other companies don't, but the U.S. government has AAA, stuff like that. So the higher the credit rating, the less risk you as the investor have of default, which is a risk I don't pay you. So that's where we're going into. So the more risk you have, the more I have to pay you. So maybe if I was a AAA, maybe I'd have to do like 3%. If I went to AA, maybe three and a quarter, three and a half, all the way down. So if I go to triple B, then maybe I have to pay 4%. Anything under triple B, maybe I'm talking five, six, seven, 8%. The lower the credit rating, 
the more I have to pay you for your risk because the more risk, more reward. It's kind of a theme here. So I had to, this is where it's going to come out that triple B and BAA are, I should even even them out a little, make them look a little better, but they are pretty much equal to each other. So it's almost like these equal. Okay. And then right across, but now this is the line here. Anything below triple B or BAA is considered speculative. Anything above the line is investment grade. Anything below the line is speculative, which is risky, high yield, junk, okay? A lot of hedge, not hedge funds can do whatever they want, but a lot of institutions cannot buy bonds that are double B rated or lower. But 15 years ago, I mean, before the, the, the crisis, somebody called me up and said, listen, can you help me sell these Colgate bonds? Colgate, I mean, it's toothpaste. How hard can it be sold? So I looked at them, I was calling people and I, I should have done this first. Then I looked up the credit rating and it was double B. It took me two weeks to sell the thing. No one could buy them. Every institution that I knew couldn't buy them. So I had to go to like hedge funds. I had to find a couple alternative places to be able to buy it because nobody could. I, I thought, how hard could it be? It's really hard because anything under that line, a lot of places are in their charter not allowed to buy it. Okay, the coupon. The coupon is the rate of return, the cost of money. What it's going to cost me to pay you for lending me the money. I'm going to pay you that every year. So you're going to give me a thousand bucks. I'm going to pay you a hundred bucks a year, every year. And then you're going to, um, and then you're going to get back your thousand bucks at the end of the thing. So let's say you buy my bond, the cats to fours of 38. So what does that mean? Cats is the underlying boom. The 4% is the, that's fours is 4%, 4% of a thousand. That means I'm paying you 40 bucks a year. I'm assuming if you're on the seven, you should be able to handle this part. 38 is the maturity date. That's the date it's going to mature. So I'm going to pay you 40 bucks a year every year until 1930, until 1938, Jesus Christ, till 2038. And then must be dating myself. And then 2038. And then boom, you get your thousand dollars back as long as I don't go out of business. But hopefully if I'm as good as I am, as you guys are being entertained, as long as people need to still take the series seven exam, series seven top of exam, you should, I should still be making some money. Now, your risk here is that I make default. That's one of your biggest risks. So now let's talk about this. This is a 4% bond. That means I'm paying 40 bucks a year. We're okay with that. But they don't pay at one time. They pay twice a year. So I'm going to pay to each payment is going to be 20 bucks semi-annual. Okay. Semi 20 bucks semi-annual. So 40 bucks a year, $20 every six months. Now the question is, when is this issued? So we're going to say, it's. they say the four is a 38, but let's say it's January, let's say you should have January, it's going to be first because that's it's always on, it's always the first of the 15th of we'll say 2018. So it's a 20 year bond. Okay. So that's when we issued them. And so the, from that day forward, we're going to start paying interest on it from that day. Now, there is a little tweaky thing. I'm just doing this for simplicity. There's a thing called the data date. The data date is the first day it starts accruing interest, which I'll get into. So it's going to start paying. So it pays every six months. That means I'm going to pay every January and then every July going forward until 2038. And it's always the first or the 15th. 90% of the time on the Series 7 exam or the SIE, it's going to be uh, the, the first, the first. It could be the 15th, but most of the time it isn't. Okay, so let's talk about the dated date. The dated date is the first day it starts accruing interest. So it's not the normal days, but let's say I have a January bond. January and July, it's paying every six months. 
but I don't actually get the bond issued till like February or March. So the first payment, the accrued interest, which we'll talk about, is going to start accruing on the dated date, not the first payment date. So it's going to be on the dated date. So we'll call it, you know, March 1st. So if you buy the bond on March 5th, you're going to have to pay four days of accrued interest back to the issuer. But then once the first payment hits, like in July, then the dated date doesn't matter anymore. So remember, the dated date, the dated date is only for new issues. After the first payment, we don't care. So now we're getting into this. So let's say it pays every January and July. And let's say you buy the bond. You buy the bond on Monday. Mandat, a little German. Monday, we'll call it October 15th. And what it doesn't matter the year. So you're going to buy it on Monday, October 15th. Now, if this is a, let's make sure we got this. If this is a corporate or a muni, they settle. Wish I could spell settle T plus two and treasuries. Well, I'm the worst. Settle T plus one. Okay with that. Now, also, when they when they count backwards, they use corporates and use a, use a thirty day thirty day month, three hundred and sixty day year. For the treasury, they use actual, which is like 31, 30, 29, stuff like that. Actual day, three sixty five. Now, as far as I'm concerned, everyone I talked to said who's taken it said they never ask you how much money, but they do ask you how many days. So let's do this, okay? So we're gonna buy the bond Monday, 10, 15. It pays every January and July. So here's what accrued interest is. Accrued interest is, remember something, it pays every six months. I'm paying you at the end of the six months for the fact that you lent me the money for the past six months. So pays every January and July. In July, I'm paying you the interest for the, you owning the bond from January to July. When I pay in January, I'm paying you for the interest from January back to July, okay? or July forward to January, whatever you want to say, however you want to think about it. That's the accrued interest. So you're paying the person for the past six months. So when we buy the bond in October, well, what happened is when you buy the bond in October, well, the person who you bought it from has owned the bond from July to October. They've been sort of earning interest. So what we want to do is we have to pay them the interest they've earned, the accrued interest during that time. Because it's because you're going to get, remember something, I'm the issuer. On January, if you own, if you bought the bond in October or August or December, I'm still paying you the full 20 bucks. That's a fact. I'm not adjusting for when you bought it. So you buy it, you have to pay the seller of the bond the interest that they earned from the, la from the last payment date. Remember, you go backwards, backwards, backwards. Okay, you're always going to the last payment date, not the next one, the last one. Now, okay, so now we bought the bond on Monday, October 15th. So now we have to figure out how many days of accrued interest. I'm not even sure they're going to ask that. Just know you go back to the July in this because it's 10 going backwards. But I'm actually going to do the math just in case you do it. I will not do the dollar amount because I every student I've had, the hundreds of students, thousands of students in the last year or so, none of them have said they made you do the money amount. So we're not going to do that. Why waste your time with shit that's not going to be on the test, okay? So now... Corp, I buy the bond on Monday, October 15th. So now remember, it settles T plus two. So that means it's going to settle on the 17th. Now remember, when it settles, it's your bond, okay? 
Once it settles, it's your bond. You buy it on, on October 15th, boom, it settles on the 17th. That day is your interest. So you count to the day before that. So I'm going to say in October, we go back from the day before settlement, no matter when it is. So for example, if it settles on a Monday, you're counting to Sunday, the day before. If it settles on July 5th, you count to the 4th. If it settles on December 26th, you count to the 25th. Yes, it can't settle on those days on the July 5th, on July 4th or December 25th, but you can count till then. Just in case they get your question, just remember, you still settle on a work business day, but it's always going to be the day before settlement. So in the day before settlement here is going to be the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, whatever it is. Um, let's do it. So this one's going to be the 16th because it's it settles on the 17th. I come back one day. So that means in October, I'm going to have 16 days of accrued interest. Okay. Then what's the month before October? I think it's September. Then we have August. Then we have July. And since it's a corporate or muni here, we're just going to make it easy. It's 30 days each. 30. 30. 39. No, I had a couple of days in August, right? And then 30. Despite July and August being 31 day months, corporates and munis always use 30 days. So here, what's this? 90 plus 16, that should be 106. So that'd be 106 days of accrued interest. And remember, so that means you have to pay when you buy the bond, you have to add whatever the 106 days worth of accrued interest is on top of the purchase price to give it to the seller. Now that does not affect your cost basis. Cost basis has nothing to do with that. This is just what you're paying them because you're getting some of it back anyway. Now, let's talk about if it's a treasury. You buy it on October 15th, but it settles the next day. So that means you're going to the day before. So that's the 15th. So in October, it's 15 days. Then we go back and so we're going to go September, August, July. Now, there's a whole bunch of ways. To, you got to remember this. We can, there's a whole bunch of ways to know how many days are in a month. You can do the knuckle trick, right? So you start on the knuckles. The knuckles are 31s. The indentations are not. You should know the months, but if you don't, it's not a big deal. January, February, March, April. So January is 31. It's a knuckle. February is 28, unless it's a leap year. It's indentation. March is 31. April is 30. May is 31. June is 30. July is 31. Now you double hit. So July and August are both 31s. And then September, October, November. So that's how I count the, know the months. But I mean, you might be able to do this. So September is going to be 30 days in the month. Then it's going to be August is 31. And July is 31. So let's do this. So let's add them up. So this is 62 plus that's 92 plus 15 should be 107. I think that that's the number. So if it's a treasury, it would be 107 days. We're on a corporate immunity, it'll be 106 days of accrued interest. Again, you're going backwards. Most of the time, they're just going to ask you when you accrued to, and that's the last payment day, or if it's a new issue, to the dated day, okay? That's all that is. It's not a big deal. This is not brain surgery. It's just the books do a really bad job of explaining it. Hope that helps. Accrued interest is what you're paying the seller for because they're, they've earned interest, and they're not going to get it at the end of the six months or whatever, so you're going to pay it to them now. Okay, before I move on to other things, the coupon could be fixed or variable. If it's a fixed coupon, boom, you buy a 4%, it's 4% until it matures. A variable could move up and down. Like a variable rate would be like, okay, here's a 4% bond, rates are 4%. If rates go to five, it'll go to five. Rates go to three, it'll go to three. Rates go to nine, it'll go to nine. 
Usually that's paired with a demand obligation, which means you can sell it back to the issuer at par, which means you have no interest rate risk, right? Think about this. You buy it, a 4% bond at a thousand, good, you're getting your 40 bucks a year. That's great. Interest rates go to seven. It's go to seven. Now you're getting 70 bucks. You're relevant. You're in there. So the prices are going to drop and say you want out, boom, just sell it at par because you have a put option, an embedded put option, because it's a demand obligation that says you can sell it back to the issuer anytime you want at par. So there's no interest rate risk because there's no problem selling it. You're always going to be selling it at par. And that's what interest rate risk is. The fact that if you buy a bond at 4% and the rates go to eight, well, you're still at four. So your bond was kind of shitty. So the price is going to drop. That's kind of interest rate risk. And that's why when rates go up in the economy, your bond goes down because who the fuck wants to buy your bond that pays four when they can buy a brand new one at seven? So you're going to drop your price to make it more attractive. You're going to drop the price. And when you drop the prices, the yields go up. Oh, you should know that from the SIE, but that is the game here. Let's talk about maturity when you're getting your money back. Okay, so maturity is when you well, look at this a little sexy shit. Let's not do that, right? Huh? I don't need to do a Goomba Staten Island guy. Okay, Woo. I'm I'm buttoned up. I'm old. I can't do that shit. Where's the gold chains? Okay, now maturity date. Maturity date is when you get your money back. That's when it ends. There's two types really. There's term and cereal. Not the one you eat. Right, look at that. I just scored a touchdown. Ooh. Okay. Now, term is one maturity date. And one issue date. I issue it today. It matures 30 years from now. Boom, you get your money back then. Serial is a little different. Serial is as follows. Okay, so let's say we do a serial bond. We issue a million dollars worth of bonds. Remember, it's always dollar amounts. A million dollars worth of bonds at 2022. And then we have we have serial, which means we're going to mature on multiple dates. So here's what happens. So a little bit of it matures on 2023, and it's going to pay a basis of 4%. Because you have to, whenever you have a serial bond, you have to quote it on a percentage. Because how do you compare the 27 to the 23? So you can't. So you have to show the basis, which is yield to maturity, the yield you hold if you hold it to maturity. I am hoping that you know this already, because you either have the SIE or not. If not, go back and check out my SIE videos on the bonds, and that will help you. I'm absolutely assuming, I'm not starting from the basics. I'm building on what you should know already. And if you don't, go back and check the bonds. I'll try to put a link here. Now, $100,000 of it will mature in 2023, $100,000 will mature in 2025, $100,000 to $27,000 over time. So it's not all million dollars matures at one time. Boom, and you can buy the ones you want. You can buy the, you know what? I want money for eight years, so I buy this one and I'm gonna earn around 5%. If I want to money for you know 18 years, is that 18? 18, I'll buy that one, I'll get a little bit higher return. That's what these are. Serial bonds have one issue date and multiple maturity dates. That's a lot of GOs are issued this way. I don't know that corporations do it so much, but GOs almost always do this because this way they don't have to come up with all the money at one time. Now, I kind of talked about the interest rates a little bit before, so I'm going to talk about it more now. Why do bonds go up and down in price? And I did give a great colorful explanation of that. You buy a 5% bond, it's $1,000, rates go to 6%. Your bond doesn't look as attractive anymore, so the price will drop. That also means all the yields will go higher because someone who buys it at a lower price is still getting that 4%, but they're paying less for it, so the yield is higher. Again, I talked about it in that other video. Now, if rates go down, your bond looks awesome. I mean, if you have a 4% bond and rates go to 2 
Why wouldn't somebody want to buy your bond over the new ones coming out of part two? So what's happened is the they're going to like that bond, so the price is going to rise, rise, rise. So the price is going to go up, so the price goes up, and the yields go down. Because remember, you're still getting 4% no matter what. The coupon doesn't change. But if you're paying 1200 for a 4% bond, you're earning less than someone who pays 1000 or 800 for a 4% bond, so your yield is going to go down. And how do I do yield? Well, the only yield you really have to know how to do is current yield, which you should know already is a coupon, the annual coupon, that 4% over the market price. So 4% over 1,200, four, do 40 divided by 1,200, and you should get a yield. If it's if the bond goes down in price, you're going to do 40 over 800, say, and you're going to get that. That's current yield. That's the only yield you have to figure out. Understand if it's a discount, current yield is going to be higher than the coupon. What's another word for coupon? Nominal. Current yield will be higher, then yield to maturity, then yield to call. But if it goes premium, it's going to go coupon, then current, then yield to maturity, then yield to call. No, it doesn't hurt. Okay, we're good with that. Now, what happens if the rates go down? Okay, so the price goes up. That's awesome. But there's risk there, right? Because if the prices, if the yields go down, my price goes up, which is great. But I'm the issuer. If I'm the issuer and you have a bond, a 4% bond, and rates go to 2 I'd rather pay two than four. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to issue a new bond at a lower rate at 2% and use that bond to pay you up. That's called being called. So a call risk is that when rates go down, you have call risk, the risk that I'm going to call the bond back. Okay, that's call risk. And that happened during interest rates drop. Now, I could issue a non-callable bond, stupid on my part, but I could, and that would lower the call risk because then I can't call it back but you're going to get a lower coupon. There's, if I take a risk away, a whisk, what is that, a whisk, a thing? If I take a risk away from you, then I'm not going to pay you as much because why would I have to? It's, it's less risky, less pay. So you, if you have a non-callable bond, if I have a callable and a non-callable, my callable will have a higher coupon than my non-callable. Just like preferreds have higher coupons and bonds because they have more risk, okay? Hope that works. So if rates go down, we have call risk. The other risk we have, which everyone fucking misunderstands, is reinvestment risk. First of all, zero coupons don't. Ken, what's a zero coupon? A zero coupon bond is a bond that doesn't actually pay during the life of it. You buy it at a discount. You buy it at like 800. It grows to maturity. And the interest there is your, is your that difference is your interest. They don't have reinvestment risk because they're not getting paid anything. So this a reinvestment risk is for a bond that does pay you or preferred or something like that. So if you have a 5% bond, you're getting your 50 bucks every year. That's awesome, right? But rates go down to two. What are you doing with that 50 bucks? Well, the rates are two now. So you're going to take that 50 bucks and the only place to invest it is at 2%. So you're earning less money on your new paid money. So that's reinvestment risk. Reinvest, reinvestment risk is the risk that as rates drop, you're going to be reinvesting your coupon, whatever your payments are, at a lower rate. So earning your total return is going to start dropping. That's reinvestment risk. Zero coupons do not have reinvestment risk. Remember that. I'm trying to read my shit through the glasses. That's funny. It's like it's a never-ending mirror. God, it sucks having glasses now. One of the other risks we have, which I mentioned before, but I want to go into it deeper, is credit risk. Not that deep. I mean, we don't have to go crazy. Credit risk is a risk that I'm not going to pay you. And how do we measure that? If I ask you, how do you measure credit risk? You don't start going, I'm analyzing. No, you look at the credit rating. Triple A, double A, A, triple B are all investment grade, very low, 
all of them really don't have really high default risk, but they can happen. Anything under triple B or BAA on the Moody sign, because he's Moody, he has to be different, um, is speculative, okay? That means the credit default risk is higher. Remember, that credit rating stuff is all about default risk. The fact that I won't have the money to pay you, that's default risk, okay? So default risk is the risk that I won't pay you, and the lower the credit rating, the higher the default risk, which means I have to pay you for that risk. Now we're talking about pricing of bonds, how we price them. How do we know if they're a premium or a discount? First of all, we know par is 100, okay? So par is 100, and we, we quote it that way because that's 100% of par. So it's always bonds that are quoted, what they call dollar price or term prices, are percentage of par, okay? So a, par, a bond trading at exactly a par, 1,000, is considered to be trading at 100% of par, is a thousand. I'm going to say that word a thousand times. So on the series seven exam, series seven top off, you, you will have to know this. Okay. So you buy a bond at par, that means you bought it at a thousand, but let's say interest rates went up. So yields go up, prices go down. We know that. And which bonds move the most long-term move bonds move the most up or down. Also the lowest coupon moves more. So remember long and low, baby, long and low bonds, interest rate risk. Again, as rates go up, bonds go down, or if rates go down, that's not interest rate risk. But if rates go down, bonds go up. Which bonds move the most? Long-term bonds are the most volatile. And then if there's two long-term bonds, you look for the lowest coupon, the lowest price, and that's the one that moves. But now let's talk about price here. So how do we know what the price is? If it's below 100, it's a discount. If it's over 100, it's a premium. It's that simple. But look at this. So this bond is trading at 99 and an eighth. That's really 99 and an eighth percentage of par. But how do you know what that is? So I do this. I do one divided by eight. And then I add 90. So I do one divided by eight. That gives me 0.125. Then I know the full of the bond is 99. So that should work. Yeah, it's a little sloppy, but let's make that clean. Okay. Now that's 99.125. I do the little decimal dance and I move. Let's see, do this so it doesn't waste a lot of time. Let's move these out of the way because I'm wasting time. And then I will say, okay, I move the decimal. 991.25. That's how much I paid for the bond. And then you just multiply it by the number of bonds you have. Let's go to the next one. Now, here's the one thing that we'll get into when we talk about treasuries. So corporates and munis are traded in eighths, unless they're also a, unless they're a serial, then it's a coupon, but we'll get to that. So munis and corporates are traded in eighths. So it's at one eighth, two eighths is really a quarter, three eighths, a half, five eighths, all that. And you just, if you have to figure it out, just do just do the first number divided by the second and boom. So if you see a fraction, it has to be a corporate or muni. If you see a decimal or a dash, so 99.04 or 99.04, that's always gonna be a treasury, especially in real world, maybe they throw something different at you, but on the test world, it's always gonna be treasuries. If you see a decimal or dash, it's always a treasury. And let's do this. Now, the thing about treasuries is they're not out of eighths, they're out of 30 seconds, not 30 seconds at a time, 32s out of 32. So this is really 99 and 430 seconds. So it's really 99 and 430 seconds. So if I do four divided by 32, wow, that works out to be 0.125. So really, that's like the same price, okay? So 99 and an eighth is the same as 99-04 on a corporate bond. So always remember, treasuries are uh, decimal or dash, corporates and munis are an eighth. Now, it could be a full. You could just see the word 99, and then it's 990. But remember, it's a, it's a percentage of par. And just it's easy stuff to do. So if you just see 99, 
just collect that's okay. Well, that what would 99 alone be, right? 99 would be 99.0. Then just move the net decimal over it, 980. There you go. Not so bad. Okay. Now this one down here looks kind of crazy. This is a basis. This is for serial bonds. Okay. So you would do this for serial bonds, which remember I told you about serial bonds. Okay. Serial bonds are the ones where they have they have multiple maturity dates. So they will quote it on a not a percentage of par, but a yield to maturity, what they call basis. So this should be trading at a 4% basis. That's what they're talking about. So four basis is 4%. That's all it's going to be. Okay, so that helps a little bit. Now let's say interest rates drop. We're going to go back to the call provisions. So if, I, if interest rates drop, me is the issuer. I'm going to want to call them back and buy them back. So there's a thing called call. There's a call features where I can buy them back either um, at par or higher. So I'll have a call schedule set up. And the call schedule will say like, oh, in 2025, I call them back at 104. 2026, I can call them back at 103 and a half. It'll be a schedule. And I, if I'm going to call them back, I have to buy them back at that price. And the amount above par, 103 is really 1,030, right? We know that now. Um, so 1,003. So if I buy it at 103, I'm going to buy it at 1,030, which means I have $30 or three points, three points or $30 of call premium. That's amount I'm paying over par. So call premium is the amount you're paying over par, the issuer buying it back from the customer. That's the only thing call premium is. It's not the customer buying. It is strictly the price over par that the issuer is buying it back from the customer, the owner, the, the creditor, okay? Now, that's a call schedule. It'll list out what prices I can buy it at. Are there ways for me to go around that? Yes, I can do what they call a tender offer where I just offer and say, listen, I'll pay you 101 for the bonds. And you can say yes or no. There's no forcing. With a call, you don't have a choice. I call it, you're, you're giving it up. But if I tender it, if I do a tender offer, then I am not going to have to... Um, then you don't have to say yes. You can just say, no, I like my bonds, but anyone who wants to sell their bonds at that price can. Now, a tender offer is open for at least 20 days. Usually I'll have a, um, a price, if I do it, I'll do it at a price over where it's trading. If it's trading at 103, which is 1,030, maybe I'll buy it at 105, 1,050. That's a tender offer, but let's go back to the calls. So I can either do a partial call where I, I call back part of it, or I can do an in-hole call where I buy, back, I, offer, I buy back the whole thing and just retire the whole bond. But for you, the investor, there's a great little thing called call protection, okay? Or redemption protection. Call protection is the number of years that the bond cannot be called. So let's say I issue it today. Maybe I say the first 10 years, I put a call date and the prospectus, right? So we're going to get there. Or in the indenture, I mean, prospectus, I was confused them, but that's fine. I mean, I just, when I speak too fast, I confuse them. I know what they are. So an indenture is the agreement between the issuer and the underwriter telling you all the rules. So the call protection is the number of years I can't call the bond. So in the indenture, I will say, oh, I'm going to call the first bond in 10 years at 103. That means I have 10 years of call protection. You have 10 years of call protection, which means I cannot call the bond back from you unless they do a tender offer. You can say no to that for the first 10 years. That gives you a little bit of protection. Now, when, when is call protection good for you? Call protection is good for you when interest rates are dropping. Because I'm sure as I'm not going to fucking call the bond when the rates go up. Think about it. If I have a 4% bond and rates go to 8, I'm ecstatic I'm paying 4, not 8. So I'm going to leave that bond. But if rates drop to 2 or 3, I'm going to want to get out of that bond and issue a lower one. So I will call you back so I can have the lower price bonds. Okay. So the only time that you really have risk of call risk is when interest rates drop. 
And COLA protection benefits you greatly when interest rates are dropping. Okay, so we'll talk about pre-refining, escrow maturity, all that when we get to other bonds. But right now we're not going to. But let's talk about, because pre-refining is a way of kind of like not calling the bond back, but putting money aside and buying treasuries to pay it off. I'll get into it. I have a pre-refining video. I'll put it right here. The other thing is we talked about the put provision. If you have a variable rate bond, you can actually have a put provision that's embedded in it, which allows you, the investor, to sell it back to me, the issuer, at any time at par. It's kind of like a long-term bond with a short-term feature because you get to sell it back at par, which is maturity date, which is the maturity, anytime you want, okay? That's what a put provision allows you to sell it back at par anytime you want, which is like making the bond mature whenever you want. Now let's talk about interest, okay? Real quick. The interest you get every year, you're going to pay taxes on it. Now, depending on what kind of issue it is, if it's a corporate bond, you're going to pay state and federal in, uh, taxes at ordinary income rates. If it's a treasury, you're only going to pay federal, not state. And if it's a muni, you won't pay federal uh, most of the time, and which we'll get to. And if you, if you um, buy it in your own state, you won't even pay state. So if you buy a muni in your own state or from a territory, which is like Guam, Puerto Rico, shit like that, you won't pay any taxes on it, okay? But if at all, but if you live in Jersey and you buy a Texas bond, you're going to pay state taxes, but not federal. But if you buy a Jersey bond in Jersey and you live there, you're not going to pay any taxes at all, okay? That's on munis only. We're going to get into accretion and amortization later, but accretion is when you buy a bond at a discount, they're going to make, the IRS goes, wait a second, I don't want to wait 30 years to tax you. Because remember, a zero coupon bond you buy it at a discount, right? So I'm going into it, I guess. So, and I'll go heavier later. When you buy a bond at a discount, say 800 bucks, I'll put the accretion thing here, boom. But if you buy a bond at 800 and it grows to maturity, it's a zero coupon bond. That means you're not getting a dime until 20, 10, 15 years. The IRS doesn't want to wait that long. So they're going to make you take a, a little bit of that growth. I'm going to say income every year and get taxed on it. We'll go into the video. You'll see, explain it. It'll do better. Guys, thanks a lot. That's that's basics of bonds. We're going to go heavier into that. But if you like what I'm doing, please hit like, subscribe, share. I really, I just want to get to 10,000. That'd be great. And then when I get to 10, I'll be greedy. I want 100. But let's just get up there. Send this out to people. I'm trying to help out. Um, join my lives every Tuesday and Thursday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. And I and you're taking the SIE. You're, you're, you shouldn't be here. But I have a podcast that'll help you out. Guys, everyone, wash your hands. Good night. And... Um, Thank you.